Peter Schwitzer? Oh, yeah, it's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five, four... We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer and I'm joined by my partner in money, uh, Paul Rickard. How are you, Paul? Good afternoon. I'm great, Peter. How are you? I'm great, mate. And today we are going to shine the spotlight on eight of the most outrageous tax return claims of all time. Paul, uh, we're going to do that, by the way, with uh, H&R Block's Mark Chapman. But have you got a tax story that you just can never forget well, because it's just so <laughs> memorable? You know me, Peter. I'm a... I'm a I'm a by-the-rules type of guy. Yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. very much the uh, half-empty, uh, always sort of worried about what will happen. So yeah. I like to play it uh, pretty much straight down yeah. the rule book. But, it's good. It's good idea. I do uh, recall I've got some friends, and they're very honourable people, yeah. but uh, one of my uh, close friends, of course, he's in the medical profession. Right. And he's always telling about these fantastic conferences he's going away to. Oh, yes. Now, I don't think that's particularly outrageous, no. but it seems to me somehow the business finds his business, is able to pay for this fantastic conference set, you know, set in some of those loveliest parts in Europe. The yeah. conference goes for, you know, just a few hours or something. He manages to go away for three weeks. Yeah. And the business pays for it, and it does it year after year. Yes. And I sit back and say, well... How does that work? How does that work? I mean, I thought there were rules about this. So probably not outrageous, no. but I guess there's a few people doing that. Yeah, I think there are a lot of people there. doing that, Paul. The, I old, look, the old fudged business yeah. expense, I think it is. I've got two. I've got two yeah. tax stories I can never forget. One was um, when the GST was being introduced, I was actually writing a book called GST, Your Questions Answered. And mm-hmm. my electrician came to me. He was renovating, we were renovating our house. And he came to me and said, Peter... He said, "This is the bill." He said, "But if you want to, if you want to split the GST, I'll, 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 if you're paying cash, we can split the GST." So he still wanted to charge me five percent, which he was never going to pay. And I said, "Steve, it doesn't work like that." I said, "Because I want to pay the right price, Steve." But then the second story is a similar tra- tradie was having a, a talk to his client in Mossman. And he said to the to the client, he says, "Yeah, if you want to pay pay cash, we can just let the GST go by the, by the wayside." The guy in question was the assistant tax commissioner, <laughs> and and the story goes that the assistant tax commissioner actually thought it was a pretty good idea. I don't know whether he went ahead with it, but uh, that was an outrageous. And by the way, it was many many years ago, so it wasn't any of the current uh, tax commission. Well, I, I suppose it's timely because uh, it is just past 30th of June and mm. we're all now at that stage when we need to think about doing our tax return. Uh, hopefully we've got our affairs in order before the 30th of June. Yeah, that's the point. Uh, and I think that was the... If you didn't, well, you know, I don't know what to say late. to you. It's a bit late. But, but Paul, I, I do think uh, when, you, when you make a mistake of not getting it right before, the, before June 30th, it's actually the right time to prepare for the next June 30. Leaving to the last moment is the most craziest thing to do. So when we talk to Mark Chapman, we will talk to him about yep. the outrageous claims, but also the stuff that people should do to make sure they can maximise their tax claim legally. Yeah, no one wants to pay 
any any more tax than they need to, but we do want people to pay their legal share. Right. But you know, again, people don't know what some, sometimes what the obvious deductions are and mm. what they can do to just make sure they're paying what they have to pay and not what they might end up paying. Yeah, exactly right. So, without any further ado, let's uh, bring on Mark Chapman from H and R Block. <laughs> Welcome, Mark, to the program. Pleasure. Thanks so much. So, Mark, uh, I couldn't help but be interested when I saw the headline, eight outrageous tax returns uh, that people have actually tried on the Australian tax office. So uh, what just gives a, a positioning of you at H&R Block, and then we'll go on with your what you would call the most outrageous story you've ever come across. Yeah, so uh, H&R Block are the largest tax accountants in uh, Australia. So we have uh, over 100, 450 offices uh, across Australia. We look after over 700,000 individual taxpayers. So uh, we do a really large proportion of all the tax returns in, in Australia, actually, about uh, uh, 8% of all tax returns. So across all of those clients, obviously, we, we see people from all walks of life, uh, all different occupations, all different uh, income levels. Uh, a lot of them are very straightforward and very conventional. A lot of them are very unusual. Mm. Um, so, you know, along the way, as well as the, 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 uh, you know, the sort of typical, uh, claims that, that many people might make, we see some fairly strange ones as well. Some of which, uh, are allowable and some of which, unfortunately, uh, are not. And particularly, I guess, with the ATO, yeah. uh, having a bit of a focus on work deductions this year, um, uh, it was worth highlighting some of those stranger deductions just to, uh, uh, give people a, a heads up about what they potentially can't claim rather okay. than what they can do. Well, Mark, the one that really struck me was the edible underwear um, claim. Someone <laughs> really thought that edible underwear was going to be something that was claimable and what and was it? Uh, well, no, it wasn't. Absolutely, <laughs> it wasn't. Um, uh, clothing is one of those things some people can claim. Items of clothing, you know, work-related uh, clothing, uh, protective clothing in particular. Um, and, and people do make all sorts of strange uh, claims and they have all sorts of strange ways of justifying why the thing that they're claiming might potentially be uh, claimable. But uh, edible underwear, that was one that uh, we, we pretty quickly uh, uh, knocked back. It was clearly uh, um, outrageous. So we, we said goodbye to that <laughs> one and uh, that wasn't claimable. All right. Before my colleague, Paul Rickards, throws one at you, mate, um, another one which is worth, and I, I don't know what actually happened with this one, um, people in the adult entertainment industry and breast enhancement. Did this really happen? Oh, yeah. We've had actually a couple of those um, because obviously there are people all across Australia working in the adult industry. Um, and the basic rules are that if you're using something that relates to your your trade or your occupation, you can you can claim it. And, and people in the adult industry can claim all sorts of strange and wonderful uh, things as, as, as tools of the trade, if you like, um, you know, lotions and gels and uh, all sorts of uh, weird equipment mm. that, that most of us would not even ever dream of, of claiming the tax deduction for actually would be deductible for somebody in the adult industry. So, so, um, so, and, so plastic surgery for a television personality would, would be tax deductible? Uh, probably not. And actually, the, the well, hang on one minute. <laughs> hang on one minute. Hang on. The, let's, let's, hang on. Hang on, mate. Let's have a fight on this one. If 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 as you age in the, as you age in the media industry, you can lose your gig. And I would have thought that was very important to stay on air to get the income to pay the tax to the tax office. But tell us yeah, what tell us what your you experience might, um, is. 
Yeah, you, you might think so, but again, with the, there have been quite a few taxpayers over the years who've tried to claim plastic surgery because their their job uh, requires them mm. to, to, to look good. You know, people in the entertainment industry, people in the adult yeah. industry, uh, people in the modelling profession, um, and the ATO has actually seen some of these claims and has consistently knocked them back on the basis that the ATO says any kind of medical procedure is almost always, 99.9% of the time, uh, private in nature. And even though there might be a work-related element to it, in the sense that you've got to look good, it's part of your job, and if you don't look good, you might lose your job, mm. the ATO says, that, well, no, sorry, a medical procedure is basically a private expense, and you can't claim it. So that ruled out the, the, the plastic surgery to, you know, to, the, to the face for, for, the, for all of those people who, who make those claims, and also the, the breast enhancements for the people in the, in the adult industry as well. I think it's time that the television industry started taking on the tax commissioner big time on that particular subject. Oh, good luck. There was actually a, a, a person, a model, a few months ago who tried to uh, take on the commissioner on that one, but uh, I don't think she made, uh, made much progress uh, with, with that because the commissioner knocked it back, I believe. Yeah. Mark, it's um, Paul Rickard here. Just um, we might move off some of the outrageous claims, and perhaps just perhaps if you just start at the beginning, what are sort of some of the general principles that the ATO applies, and to whether they're saying that a deduction is legitimate or not? So the ATO has what they call the golden rules, and there are three of them. Um, mm -hmm. And basically, for something to be claimable, um, it, the expense needs to relate to your job first mm -hmm. of all. Secondly, um, it mustn't have been reimbursed by your uh, employer, so it's got to be an expense that you bore personally without getting reimbursed. Right. And thirdly, um, you've got to be able to prove that you incurred the expense. So you've got to you've got to have a receipt or an invoice or a bank statement or something to prove that you actually uh, spent the money. And if you can tick all three of those boxes in relation to work-related expenses, then um, by and large, the claim is going to be allowable. So if you tick the three boxes for the golden rules, you've got the, the, the basis for a claim. Um, if you don't tick all three, then usually you can't make the claim unless it's one of those sort of standard rate deductions like um, you know, 66 cents per kilometre for your, for your mileage or something like that where the ATO are a bit more flexible. So, so let, me, let me take that to an example, one that I, I mentioned before uh, you came on air. So someone who uh, perhaps goes overseas to attend a work conference... Uh, and uh, the conference might only last a day or two, but somehow finds the opportunity to spend a few additional days in the sun or something else that's a bit more uh, exciting. Uh, how does uh, the ATO sort of look at that as to... I mean, obviously, the person goes for the... Re initially, the purpose is to go on a work conference. Mm -hmm. So how does the ATO apply the rules you've, art you've articulated in terms of working out yeah. what you can claim on that? Yeah. So say there is that some of that expense will be tax deductible if the conference relates to their job and it's down to the taxpayer to uh, make a judgment as, as to what relates to the to the conference and what relates to the personal side of, of the trip so um, you know, the, the cost of getting to the conference is, is going to be the same whether they uh, just go to the conference mm -hmm. and come back again or go to the conference and spend a few extra days so the cost of the flight to and from the conference is going to be tax deductible um, the cost of the accommodation whilst they're at the conference is going to be tax deductible. The cost of their meals and all their incidental expenses will be tax deductible. But if they then choose to stay on for a few days, um, those extra nights of accommodation aren't going to be claimable. Um, and neither are any of the meals that relate to that period 
or any of the incidentals, or if they do sightseeing trips or anything like that, you can't make a claim for those. So it's really up to the taxpayer to sit down and work out uh, which element relates to the conference and which doesn't. Um, and the, 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 the figure that you come up with that does relate to the conference is going to be claimable, but all of that uh, private expenditure that relates to the, uh, uh, the holiday element isn't going to be uh, uh, deductible. Now, Mark, I'm not going to let you go. At the moment, I'm feeling like a little kid in school where a teacher has explained something really, really interesting, and I'm going to be the pesty kid putting my hand up and say, Sir, sir, I have more questions. <laughs> and I, I've got more questions. I think a lot of our listeners would have those questions as well. We're going to take an ad break, mate, and we'll be back in a moment. And the question I am going to ask you related to that last question is, what if you had, say, a conference for two days at the beginning of the week, say, in London, and then another one, uh, another conference or another business meeting on, say, the, the Friday, so you effectively had three days in the middle where you weren't doing any business, would you be able to claim those three days in between? Because, in a sense, you have to be there. It's ridiculous to fly home and come back. But we'll uh, get your answer after the question, and I hope the tax office is going to be reasonable on this one. Back in a moment. And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Now, here's Switzy. And we're back from the ad break. I should throw in that when we talk about advertised rates, uh, the advertised interest rate on Switzer home loans are the same as the comparison rate as well. All right, now, Mark, I've given you some thinking time. What's the answer to that question? Yes. Look, I reckon that if you've got your two work-related conferences, which are split by a few days, if the trip is so far away that it isn't feasible for you to come back sensibly, um, then I reckon that that period in the middle, um, you know, the accommodation and the meals would be claimable. Um, anything, uh, you know, site, if you do some sightseeing or tours or anything like that, that's never going to be claimable. No. But just the, the cost of actually physically being there would be. Um, but you've got to use your judgment. So, you know, if, if the two conferences, uh, uh, you live in Melbourne and the conferences are in Sydney, then it would probably be feasible to come back and then go back to Sydney at the end of the week. So you might not make, get the claim there. Mm-hmm. But in your example, where you've got to go to London um, and your conference is on uh, the uh, Monday or Tuesday or whatever, and then the next one is on the, the Thursday or Friday, then clearly it makes no sense uh, for you to come back again. And I think that that whole trip would be uh, would be claimable as a work deduction. Okay, before I put you back to Paul, while we're still on this holiday mode, um, if I decide to stay at the Ritz rather than you know, a motel in uh, in uh, some place like Slough or some place <laughs> like that, does the tax office take, take issue with you on the choice of the hotel you stay at? Um, I think you've got to be reasonable. Um, uh, I mean, I, I've not seen many many examples where the AGO has actually knocked back uh, a claim on the basis that the, the place where the person is staying is is, is too extravagant. Mm. Um, but I, 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 it just kind of sits uneasily with me if somebody's spending thousands of dollars a night to stay in a particular place when they could have stayed at a at a at a, at a more reasonably priced accommodation down the road that might have been costing mm. a few hundred dollars. So again, I think you've just got to be uh, got to be sensible and, and not push the envelope. Uh, at the end of the day, 
Um, you're going to have to justify these claims to the ATO if they uh, query them, and they're much more likely to query them if they're large. Um, so if they really stand out, then that's clearly going to be a flag for the ATO. And then you're going to start getting the questions about what you were doing, uh, why you were there, uh, have you got the paperwork to prove it, the invoices and the expenses and so on. And even if at the end of the day you come out of that and the ATO gives you a tick, um, you probably still had to spend a bit of time and uh, exerted a bit of stress in actually dealing with the ATO in the first place. Yep. So just, just, just be sensible and be cautious. And uh, if you do that, by and large, you'll, uh, you'll be fine. Mark, what are the rules around laundry and dry cleaning? I know uh, uh, a lot of professions or occupations are able to claim it, but let's take a sort of more common one. Let's think of an example like me. I mean, I wear a suit most days of the week. Sometimes I wear a tie. Um, That's why we call you a suit. Yeah. Um, Am I able to claim dry cleaning expenses for those clothes? No, unfortunately not, and um, I, I feel your pain because I'm in a, a similar situation. Um, and, and this is so an we're, we're that, being discriminated. <laughs> we're being discriminated against. The whole world well, picks on suits. Yeah, I mean, we, 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 we could well think that. I mean, this is the this is an area that the HO is really focusing on mm-hmm. because lots of people do make these claims to cleaning work clothing. So, so who and, could? And the basic rule is: yep. if if the clothing that you're laundering. Would have been tax deductible in its own in its own uh, sense. Then uh, the cost of getting any um, uh, laundering or dry cleaning is also going to be tax right. deductible. Okay. And the things that are tax deductible are work-related uniforms. Um, so you know, nurses, police officers, military people, somebody who's working in a supermarket. Uh, you know, any, any any kind of uniform like that is going to be claimable. Um, any specific item of clothing that, that is, is, is clearly linked to your job, and by that I mean it would have a logo for your, your employer on mm-hmm. it, something like that, uh, or any kind of protective clothing, so a, a high-vis vest or um, uh, an overall that protects your, your, your clothing underneath or your body underneath for, from, from harm, all of that kind of thing is going to be tax deductible. Well, what will not be tax deductible is any kind of conventional clothing. Um, unfortunately, in that definition of conventional clothing, the ATO includes things like suits, um, business attire, normal professional clothing, mm. because you might wear them to work, but the ATO would say, um, well, okay, you might well wear them to work, but you could also wear them to um, you know, a social event. A jitterbug competition at St. Ives or something like so that. So a, a builder has to, say, for example, wear you know, steel cap boots, mm. uh, protection yep. for... Uh, his or her toes, uh, which he could also wear outside. You know, might work on a farm on the to watch rugby. Uh, the cost of buying those boots is tax deductible. But for me, if I buy some shoes, it's discrimination. I have to wear suits, it. Paul. Look, look, look appropriate in my business, but I could also wear them outside. Yeah. That's not tax deductible. Is that what you're saying? That's essentially the rule. Yeah. 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 That's that's the way it goes. And you build it. He's. Uh, Steel cap boots are going to be tax deductible, mm-hmm. um, but if you decide to buy a, a pair of steel cap boots to do some DIY around the house, that's not going to be tax deductible. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I mean, we all have our grouses with that, and um, unfortunately, a lot of people do do push that, um, and, and they do claim for you know things like business attire, and they claim for for laundry and dry cleaning and things like that. And that's why the ATO is going so hard against that deduction this year because they say that. Uh, allegedly 6 million people are making a claim for work-related clothing or, or laundry expenses, which is a very high, high figure. 
Um, and, and in amongst that, there will be people like uh, you, or, you or I who are wearing a, a business suit or uh, people working in restaurants who are just wearing a white shirt and a, a black pair of pants as, as wait staff. They, they often make claims as well, and they're not entitled to either. Um, so uh, it, it's an area that, 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 that clearly gets the ATO uh, annoyed, irritated, because a lot of people do make claims there that, as far as the ATO are concerned, are not justifiable. Now, Mark, you mentioned the ATO is having a crackdown this year on uh, laundry and uniform expenses. What are, the, are there other areas of focus? Yeah, so I mentioned earlier on the uh, people using their car for work and claiming the 66 cents per kilometre flat rate, which you can do up to 5,000 kilometres. Uh, that's another area that the ATO is, is focusing on because as far as uh, the, the, the ATO's opinion is that a lot of people are, are not actually using their car for work, but they're claiming the deduction anyway. Um, so that's a real focus area. Um, home office expenses is, is, is another. Um, I think that the ATO's perception there is that people uh, who might well be entitled to claim something for the home office expenses are potentially claiming more than they're entitled to. So um, you've got to be uh, careful to, to document how your claim is calculated in relation to that one. Um, and the other one is, is if, if you claim very little in relation to work-related expenses, you can actually claim up to $300 um, without keeping any receipts at all, um, provided those $300 of expenses are, are, are all you're claiming, basically. Um, and the ATO is concerned that some people are simply claiming that $300 as almost a sort of standard deduction um, without actually spending anything. So that's another one um, that the ATO is looking closely at. It seems like a very small figure. It mm-hmm. makes you wonder, you know, is it really worth the ATO's while to go after these people? But clearly the ATO thinks it is because they've talked about that a lot this year in their, their pre-tax season uh, PR campaign. That's an area that they're looking at quite closely. All right, Mark, um, a couple of little areas. And I know a lot of our listeners are into things like training. That's why they listen to a program like this. So if I decide to do something that's training, which is related to my work, so for example, I'm in sales and I go to an advanced conference, maybe I live in Sydney, go to Melbourne, uh, and I go in on, on a training course that clearly is to enhance my skills in my workplace, is that going to be tax deductible? Usually, yes. Um, you've got to look at what you're doing now for the occupation um, and, and look at the course that you're doing um, and ask yourself the question, will going on this course now enhance my ability to do my current job? Mm. Um, and if the answer to that is, is yes, then it's claimable. The situation where it's not claimable is where you're doing something uh, which is geared towards um, uh, lifting you, if you like, into uh, another type of job or, 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 or getting you a promotion. So, mm. If you're looking to do something which will um, uh, potentially uh, move you to the next rung within your company, it will get you a promotion um, or, or possibly will open up opportunities in a whole new field entirely. Um, uh, that kind of training is not tax deductible. So it's got to be uh, very clearly linked yeah. to your current uh, job. So it it's is, like uh, an accountant doing an accounting course that makes them a better accountant effectively. Exactly. Exactly right. Okay. Um, now, one if, last... If, if, for instance... Um, go on, go on. Yeah. All right, mate. That's another... another, if, another if, imp- if for instance, you're... you're, you're a... <laughs> go on, mate. I shouldn't interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, no. I was just going to say, if you're, a, if you're a nurse, for instance, and you decide to go off and do some medical training with a view to training as a, as a doctor in the mm. future, that's not claimable. Okay. Now, one last one, because um, a lot of people come, come to us for educational advice and all that sort of stuff, and people who run their self-managed super funds m- might want to go to an educational 
conference so they can run their self-managed super fund properly or, or do their investments more successfully upon which they will pay tax, are they able to claim those expenses um, um, on the tax return? Uh, if it relates to your superannuation fund, probably not. But if it relates to your personal uh, investments, um, so if you're you know, indulging in a bit of share trading or um, you know, some uh, property investment or uh, you know, that, that kind of thing, and you decide to do a seminar uh, to learn about uh, how to be more successful in, in, in share trading yep. or property investment, then that's, that's clearly going to be linked to your uh, income and capacity and it will be tax deductible. Um, the problem with the SMSF is that that's a separate entity. So um, yeah, The uh, fund, kind of the fund could probably claim it, couldn't it? Yeah, the fund could claim it, but yeah, you couldn't right. claim it. Well, Mark, I reckon I could ask you questions all day, um, and it's been very, very interesting talking to you. I think I'll get you back in sometime in the future um, to pester you with more questions. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will probably send you some questions as well. But, Mark, thanks for joining us on the program. No problem. It's a pleasure. Anytime. That was Mark Chapman from H&R Block. And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want to impress people that they don't like. So stick with Switzer and get rich. Where are my teeth? Well, that guy's always having trouble finding his teeth, isn't he, Paul, that, that poor old boy? Well, it's a bit like a discussion on, on tax, Peter. I think that, um, look, it, it is a pretty complicated subject. And when you Finding actually, teeth and tax are two complicated subjects. Yeah, <laughs> yes. well, they are. I mean, finding teeth can be complicated. I've yeah. never had that experience. Yeah, my mother-in-law, <laughs> hers ended up in the garbage tin. We work our way through the garbage tin. She, you're right. It is but I have had tax. teeth fallen out, and I know what it's like, and, and so... Um, yeah, look, but look, tax can be like that too in a way. It's a bit of a mess. Yeah. And look, the rules are complicated. That laundry example is a great example. Oh, yeah, you know, I, it, I, because it's not clear cut. I mean, the fact that certain occupations, occupation specific clothing is allowed and certain types of protective clothing are allowed. But yet for people like you and I, we really have to wear a suit and we're not allowed to claim our, right. our, our, our uniform. Well, Paul, so, I can think of even a, a better one because what Mark said was basically medical procedures are not tolerated. But imagine if you are say, John Laws or Alan Jones, where you operate off your voice, and you have a, a vocal mm. cords problem, clearly the amount of income you earn, and they would pay huge taxes on the strength of their income. And that, I think this is a point we should make. You can dispute the tax office, can't you? Well, you can. I mean, look, they do have a... There's a taxpayer charter of rights they're very keen to uh, mm. tell you about. And, yeah. of course, you can... Uh, uh, appeal uh, tax ruling. You can take it all the way through the Minister of Appeals Tribunal if he gets very concerned. So mm. you don't have to accept them, but it's probably always better to pay up front yeah. <laughs> uh, and then argue. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you know you'll find that if you've got time, just a letter back to them. I, it worked for me on. I, they they tried to find a put a big fine on my self managed super fund for being late. 
You me late well, self managed super was, fund. But I was I mean, Mr. Self managed super fund. I was a few months late. I just wrote them a letter and they and they dropped the fine. Right. Um, and uh, look, so I think you, you, they are worth trying to talk to if you have a problem. But yeah. I think the the moral of the story with tax is that although we're talking about things you can claim for last year, you really should be asking your accountant or your tax professional mm. before you incur something. Yeah. In other words, now or in a month's time or two months to make sure it is allowable. Yep. Not wait till it's already happened and then come and do it. Oh, I had this expense six months ago and it's now the we're in a new, different financial year and I'm seeing whether it's okay to claim or not. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, and I, I do know of people who've been to financial planners who are good on tax or accountants who are good on tax and they've looked at their clients and they've realised their clients, new clients, have been operating, say, for five or ten years not claiming what was quite legitimate, mm-hmm. um, not knowing of opportunities to maybe make an investment that would have been tax deductible that they might have grown their business or, or grown the value of a, of a property they'll live in, all these sort of things. And so I recommend if you've never been to a, a good accountant or a, or a good financial planner, particularly when you're younger, get some insights before it's too late because there could be some fantastic opportunities to grow your wealth that you had no idea about and you kick yourself in the 50s when you eventually show up to an accountant or a, a financial planner and you've been wasting 20 or 30 years not doing what you could do quite legally to build your wealth. No, I think you're absolutely spot on there, Peter, and uh, it always pays to get good advice. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, so it's time for Q&A and uh, we've got a few questions this time. This one comes from Greg from Penrith. He says, Dear Peter slash Paul, as Paul suggested in last week's show, if you are new to trading, maybe by a company you have an association with. As a haemophiliac, I regularly use products made by CSL and was look at, looking at buying last year at $126 a share. Is CSL still a good buy at $200 or should I wait until the share price comes back a bit? Look, what a, what be a, right, Paul, be right. What a great question. And there are yes. lots of people waiting to buy CSL. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to have a bit of a bit of bragging, Peter, because you're up to the Australian Investors Association annual conference next week. Yep. And uh, on the Gold Coast. On the Gold Coast. It's tax deductible. It's tax deductible. And last year we all had to nominate a stock, and I tipped CSL. It was about 125, 126 dollars. And people must say, "This guy's a safe stock." I'm not going to be there, be there to be actually declared the guru. <laughs> <laughs> right? But. Uh, Look, it is over 200 In fact, just over $201 today, CSL. Do you buy it at $200? Oh, it's a tough one because, yeah. look, it has been such a fantastic uh, stock. It's done so well over such a long period. Every time you talk about selling CSL, it proves to be wrong. Yeah. Uh, the trend is your friend. So I reckon if you're long CSL, that is your own CSL, you hang on. You might yeah, do course. a little bit of profit-taking. Would I buy it $200? Uh, I probably wouldn't, but you know, like everybody, the whole market wants to buy a CSL if it uh, if it fa- if it falls away. So don't set your sights too high. But my guess is probably there's room for a stock that's gone up to f- come back ten or fifteen percent at some yeah. stage. That probably puts it more like around about one hundred eighty dollars, yeah. and that's probably where you have to be target. And when it gets there. And it'll probably be in a market where all hell is breaking loose. And you'll be scared. hearing about, you know, some Trump tantrum or the world's about to break or it's a new GFC, whatever the ABC... A mother of all wars yeah, from Iran. Whatever the ABC is beating it up to be at the time. <laughs> Don't be unfair, I'll Paul. Don't be a bit unfair. <laughs> you just got to buy it. I mean, look, interesting to see what the analysts got. I've just brought this up quickly. The analysts' uh, current target price, according to FN Arena, 
is $192.38. And they say it is a little overvalued. Uh, It is trading on a a multiple of this year's earnings at 39 times and 35 times next year's forecast earnings. So it's sort of huge PEs. So it's pretty well priced for perfection. CSL will report its uh, uh, full-year profit in... uh, coming up in the next two or three weeks. I just haven't got the data on my fingertips. Mm. And I guess that's probably the next catalyst for either a more further movement or pullback. Um, yeah. Market expectations are pretty strong. Um, CSL surprises positively. They might take it up even further. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm not a buyer at $200. I, I just feel that that's... No, you're absolutely right, Paul. And uh, CSL is a company that I've always liked and um, I just haven't bought on the dips when I should have. Um, and I think I would wait for a sell-off, even though I'm not quite sure whether we're going to see one. I feel as though a sell-off is probably likely between now and Christmas. I think we'll rebound out of that, that sell-off and have a pretty strong end of the year. But I just think I, I would be sitting on my hands because the most you'd probably make would be 10%. So you'd make probably 20 bucks on, on terms of... I would say, can you find a better a, a stock yeah. with more potential upside? And how about next week? Because... Reporting season starting, Paul. The theme we'll take are the companies that the analysts think have, have particular mm-hmm. upside. Eh? And we'll talk about whether we agree with them or whatever. That's the theme for next week's show. So make sure you listen if you want to get an idea of what the so-called experts think are stocks that have a lot of upside. And there are stocks like I think Bellamy's. Bellamy's, I think, has a 60% upside, don't they, Paul? But I'm not saying I like Bellamy's, but I think at the moment... A lot of the analysts think it, they, it does have an upside, and Bellamy's is in no way a company like CSL. Okay, let's go to the next question from Will. This came in via email. Hi, Peter and crew. That's you, Paul. You're a crew now. Mm, Just I like, heard, like to be crew. <laughs> <laughs> Just heard on 2GB, as I often do. I have a super account and a pension account. What I'm annoyed about is that both, the, both accounts, there is the cash component, and they're only being paid... 0.28% mm, interest. That's yeah. pretty low. That's pretty low. They, now, the, 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 the financial institution in question says its policy is to pay a low rate, but by the time you deduct fees and charges, I end up paying. It's not a lot of money in the end, but the principal burns me up. I've only recently noticed this low interest rate. He's been with them for quite some time. I would call it a rip-off or a hidden fee. I've contacted Australian Super and they pay over 1% for those sort of cash holdings. ING would give me 1.15% and so on. Uh, am I, should I be looking at other options or have you got any other ideas? I think the answer is, well, uh, yes, provided, look, they're not doing fantastically on your other investment options. Mm. But look, there are, one of the challenges with the whole superannuation and uh, investment industry is there are old super funds, old managed accounts uh, where the fees are still very high. Yeah. And unless you take action, the fees stay very high. They think you're happy with the low low return. Yeah, the the old net promoter score, they don't actually measure it, but you're a satisfied customer because you haven't bothered to move your money. And unfortunately, you know, uh, that's how the... uh, We can call this out, Peter, because the industry is full of this. Mm. The whole financial services industry does rely to a very great extent upon inertia. That is, people open accounts, put money in a bank account, Take a super product out, take a managed fund out, and just leave it there and go to sleep. Yeah. And, and uh, Will admitted that. He and, had, and, had and, the, and the financial institution will bring out a new product, almost identical, with a much lower fee, but mm. doesn't touch the old account. And so this is what you, you're on that situation. So if it's giving you 0.28%, the cash rate's one and a half. 
yeah, everyone can get one and a half. They should be getting probably closer to two, given they'll be putting some um, big monies on the table. You know, that, that, they have one, almost one and three quarter percent going out as fees is too much. Okay. So, unless they're doing 99 fantastically on the rest of the money. Yeah. And I guess a fair question, the, the fair question, obviously Will's in pension mode uh, and he's been with this company for some time. There's nothing stopping a, a person in pension mode no. to say, okay, I don't like what I'm being, how I'm being treated here. I'll go over to, to a best yeah. of breed yeah, you alternative. Can, you just commute, effectively, you commute that pension and roll over to a new pension yeah. from a different provider. Yeah. So absolutely, this, and this shouldn't, well, unless there's an exit mm-hmm. fee, there shouldn't be any problem in doing that. So that's the other thing just to check. This is really interesting. We've got a few questions around mm. this, around Charlie Aitken. I, I, think, I think it came out. On Thursday, it, it came out the very day that uh, it shot up. They announced a bit of a profit, and we're talking oh, about afterpay. Yeah. Everyone here, this is a stock ticker code APT. Um, Charlie called it a, a, um, a sell, and Charlie has uh, Charlie Aiken from Aiken Investment Management. He's got more right than he's got wrong, uh, and I do respect his opinion. Uh, uh, Baroon has said uh, as almost gospel truth, and they follow his FMG success. That's Fortescue. But from memory, he also commented on CYB and now APT. APT's exponentially shut up even after his comments to sell. Do you maintain a sell? What price do you reckon the sale will be? Always good to see your comments. Yeah, look, again, um, I've had a few emails um, about Charlie's call and Afterpay. It wasn't just, in fairness to Charlie, it wasn't actually specific to Afterpay. What what Charlie was saying was in the United States. The tech stocks. The tech stocks, the uh, Apples, Amazons, Googles, Facebooks, and Netflix, I think the five of them, might be a sixth I mm-hmm. missed out, almost 100% of the rise of the S&P 500 can be put down to those five or six stocks. Yeah. And it's, so we're, all it's I crazy, talking, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, other stocks have gone up and down, but, but if you actually just isolate it, the reason the United States markets, particularly the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ, look so good are because of the performance of these six mega tech companies. But they are also mega businesses, And they are mega businesses. You we, can't... We, all t- uh, we, we go to the Google every morning. I'm Googling here twi- Facebook three for. times while, while you've been talking, Peter. Yeah. We, you and I in our business, we, we use Facebook. We pay Facebook for, yeah. for, for advertising. Everyone uses it. And yeah. uh, so they are real businesses. And yeah. That's why they've gone with us. So Charlie was saying that we've had this enormous rise in these six companies in the US, and and uh, it wasn't saying the rise was wrong, but it was saying the rise is now so big. It's worrying. It's worrying. Yeah. And what he was saying that also, as you've seen uh, in the data, and we've talked about this before, we've seen that that flowing a little bit into our information technology sector in Australia. Yeah. And that was one of the best performing sectors in the last year and also in the month of June. And it was once the most ignored sector. And once the most ignored sector. And and some of the stocks that have led that are stocks like Afterpay and another company is called Appen and there's a couple of others. Mm. And Charlie was just saying, look, I think the US is looking super expensive in these tech stocks. Joe, be careful for those of you who have bought stocks like Afterpay and and Appen and made a lot of money Mm. because they've also gone up trading on enormous valuations. $2.53 earlier this year, over the past 12 months, and we've run $14, $15 yeah, just a, it's over 15 today. So, look, um, that's what he was saying, and it, it just happened to come out the day that Afterpay actually gave, came out with some good news around both Some shock their, good news. Some shock good news. So uh, I did a story in Afterpay at about $8 about three months ago. I said, look, I don't mind the business. I'm just not sure I'm a buyer. It's now doubled almost since when I did that story. Yeah, yeah. 
would I be jumping in now? No. Mm-hmm. If I hold the stock, probably hang on. But, yeah. you know, I think, look, we know in markets, markets do things to extremes. They take mm-hmm. things too low and they take things too high. Clearly, I think in the, some of these technology stocks, there's a lot of euphoria out there. Yeah. And that's what Charlie was saying. And he was just—he wasn't saying necessarily get out of them. He's just saying just be careful. Yeah, and um, I, Paul, I reckon with Afterpay, uh, and I'm not—I'm not in Afterpay, and I wish I, I was because I taught Anthony Eisen, the mm-hmm. guy who's co-owner, $110 million he made on Thursday on paper. Uh, and uh, Anthony, uh, What was your share, Peter? <laughs> not enough. About, I used to charge him a lot of money when well, I, I think, coached him as well. I think, I I think you should be well. charging a percentage fee. Right. I mean, like, you're brilliant, Peter. Oh, I mean, my brilliance. And you could, you could share your brilliance with me because I'm just a plotter. Yeah, a plotter, like a plotter who started Comsec. Now, but the, the, the point I, I want to make here is this, that this is a, is a company that's got a lot of potential. Yeah. And if there was a big sell-off and it dropped down to, say, $10, I think I would probably buy on the basis that over the next five years, this will become a pretty good stock. It's picked up 400 retailers in the USA since May. And that was the thing that really sparked the market. It's only, only been there since May. And they've already picked up yeah, 400 I, I, retailers. I would, look, it, it has a, a very simple idea, electronic lay-by. It's done a really good job marketing. Yeah. Uh, the Distribution Australia. It's done a good distribution agreement in the US. My two areas of caution are, one, first of all, I had to do a lot of compliance work to clean up a lot of data it knows about its customers. Yep. And two, it's charging a margin of about 4%, yep. right? right? Now, electronic lay-by, it's, it's not that hard to reinvent, yep. right? They could get rivals. A- and yep. the challenge for a rival is how it gets out to the, the, the existing merchants, the shops, and gets them to use a different mm. product. Mm. But that 4% margin, I'm not sure what it's doing in the US, mm. could easily come under competition. So that's why I'm a little more sanguine about how it can go, but mm. I have to give the guys, you know, good marks, top yeah. marks. They've a very simple idea. Yep. They've actually turned it into a real business concept. Yeah, and I guess the, the, the argument also applies. Like Netflix was an unbelievable innovation, and stands come along and that sort of. But Netflix keeps on doing pretty well. Mm. I reckon, Paul, they they're also a takeover target as well, aren't they? A big U.S. corporation could come along and say, "Thank you very much." We'll, we'll give you a lot of money. So that's it. But it's still in tricky times, I think, for, for getting on board right now. Well, uh, uh, by the way, that's our last question. We had another question there around the same thing about, about Charlie's opinion on APT. Well, Paul, uh, that's the show for today. I, I've got to say I'm really looking forward to next week. Mm, should be good. We look forward to joining you next Monday. And we'll talk about the stocks that have a real love upside. <laughs>